Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great King above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, and the sheep of his hand. Again, happy Easter. Uh, Great to be with all of you here uh, today on this day of celebration. Again, if you are new with us, welcome. My name is James. Um, It's just an honor to have you here with us uh, today. We're so glad that you're here. I hope you're able to stick around even at the end a little bit. We have connect cards in in the seat backs in front of you that you can fill out. Let us know that you're here. We'd love to contact you and um, be in touch with you, hear about how you found out about our gathering and hear your story. Certainly tell tell you about our story um, as well. Um, And of course, I want to say a special greeting to those um, who are joining us online as well. Um, Welcome. We're glad that you're here. Uh, Well, in this season together as a church, we've been talking about praise and worship. And essentially what we've said about worship is that we were made to worship. And whatever is worth most to you uh, in your life, you worship. So that might be a relationship, it might be a dream, a job, it might be money, uh, your family. Uh, Whatever you have determined for yourself is worth most to you, is most valuable to you in your life, you worship. Well now today, uh, on this Easter Sunday, I want to attempt to answer a simple, uh, but one of the most important questions that you could ever ask uh, in your life, and that is this simple question today Is Jesus worthy of our worship? Is Jesus worthy to be worshiped of our worship? And to help us answer that, we're going to be looking in Psalm 95 today. Uh, you know, throughout the Bible, there are several different ways that we see people expressing themselves in worship and praise. We actually have talked about this a little bit over the course of the last two weeks, but we see people singing. We see them shouting for joy, clapping their hands, sometimes dancing, other times being still, other times lifting their hands in an effort to praise. And while all of these are wonderful, wonderful expressions of praise, there is another that carries perhaps more meaning than them all. And that would be the posture of bowing down. Bowing down is foundational uh, to the worshiper. 
In fact, we see this phrase, bow down, used over 170 times throughout the Bible. This idea of kneeling, of getting yourself low. And of course, um, in our culture, uh, we know something of bowing or kneeling, right? Um, If you're from a more Western culture uh, here today, um, it's rare to see a person bowing down, probably most common when someone ties their shoes. Uh But when a guy, for example, wants to propose to a girl, right, to ask her to marry him, what does he do? Traditionally, he gets down on one knee, right? Now, that's become a tradition, but the significance of doing that is to say to her, uh, I honor you. I see you as precious. You have my devotion. And of course, here in Korea, we have a much greater understanding of bowing down, don't we? It's much more prominent here in our culture. Uh, There's a much greater history to this. Uh, We bow to show respect, to show humility, to show honor, to express a person's authority over me and position over me. And the lower I bow, the more respect is shown, right? Well, throughout the, the Bible, that significance of bowing down is actually quite similar. It's done to show humility, to show reverence, awe, submission. You see, bowing down is an outward expression of an inner heart attitude. It demonstrates biblically that you or whatever that thing is, you are my authority. I revere you. I'm in awe of you. I honor you. In fact, the word worship in Hebrew directly translates to the phrase, bow down. And so it's for this reason that bowing down to anything or anyone other than God was forbidden. You only bow down to the one, the one who is worthy of worship. And that's the idea that we're going to see in Psalm 95 today. And so let's open this psalm together, and I want us to focus on who we bow down to. Or more specifically, if you were taking notes today, I want us to look at what defines or characterizes the one that we worship. What defines or characterizes the one that we worship, that if we were to worship anyone, anything, what would characterize or what should define that thing, that person? So this is how Psalm 95 begins. Look at this with me. It says this, Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. I wish I could say that as epic as was in the video. I almost tried. (laughs) We'll pause there. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. So the psalmist says, the one I praise, the one I worship with my lips is the Lord. And we see that actually repeated in verse 3 and verse 6 as well when the psalmist says, for the Lord is a great God and let us worship the Lord. And, And what's the significance of that title, 
Lord. If you're looking in your text, or uh, you should see it actually as capitalized. It should be capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D in your Bible. Well, we know that this is referring to the covenantal name, the personal name for God. This is Yahweh. And it's actually the name that God gives himself. It's the name, it translates in English best as I am. I am. It's a way of God to say to us that I am self-existent. I am eternal. It carries the meaning that God simply is and he always was. It means that he is constant. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That he is the standard of truth, the standard of goodness, the standard of beauty. And everything that is not God depends totally on God. He is the I am. That's the significance and weight that comes with this title, Lord. And so the psalmist is inviting his readers here to, to honor this one. He's saying, this I am, this Lord, this God is worthy of our worship. Well, let's continue with the psalmist because he further defines the one that we should praise. Again, it's verse one. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. And then look, let us shout joyfully to who? To the rock of our salvation. So the one who is worthy of worship, again, is the Lord. And now we see he is the rock of our salvation. And this is an expression that's seen throughout the Bible. And in each instance, it carries the same meaning and feeling. It's a feeling of security, of protection, of provision. If you're not familiar with the history of the people of Israel, uh, there was a, a time when they wandered around the desert for 40 years. They are set free from slavery, being slaved in Egypt, and now they pass through the Red Sea. And for 40 years, they are wandering around the desert as a nomadic people. They are homeless, if you will. They have no land to call their home. And during that season, there came a point when, tragically, they ran out of water. There's no water. They're in the desert, no water, and so their lives were in danger. Now, you can go back and read this story for yourself, but long story short, a man named Moses, a man named Aaron, uh, who were leading Israel at that time, they go to God asking for help. There's nothing else they can do. They're in the desert. No water. We got to go to God and ask him. We need help. And the advice from God was this. It's very interesting. He says, go before all of the people. And there's that rock over there, that large rock over there. Bring everybody to that rock. Gather everybody together. And then Moses, what I want you to do is take your staff and hit that rock. And what's going to happen is water is going to come flowing from it. Sounds crazy, but it happened. It was a miracle, we read. Water comes rushing out of a rock in the middle of the desert. And so, listen, listen, the rock in the wilderness 
saved the nation. But because they knew who ultimately saved them, God, God became known as the rock of salvation. Make sense? So back to Psalm 95, the writer says, let us shout with joy because of the one who provides for us when we are thirsty. The one who saves us from death, who gives us life and joy when there seems to be no hope. We shout to this one, say to that one, he is worthy of worship. The psalm keeps going. The one who is worthy of praise is not just the Lord, not just the rock of our salvation. That one is also the maker. Look at verse 3. Starting there, it says, For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his. For he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. And then if you have a copy of God's word, at the end of verse 6 it says, Worship the Lord, and then it says, The maker. Our maker. I want us to understand today that all of these titles given here, Great God, King above all, Again, we see the the title, Lord. They are given because he is the one who created all things. That's the point here. It's saying God's greatness is displayed by his majesty over all of creation. From the lowest valley to the highest hills, to the deepest seas, to the driest lands, God has formed them all. And I love specifically what it says about the sea here. It's simple, but so profound. It says, the sea is his. And why? Why is that so powerful? Well, you have to understand in that day, in that culture, in the time when this was written, 3,000 years ago from now, there was this pagan There was this secular worldview that the ocean, that the sea was a power that even the gods could not control. In fact, even the seas, they believe, the seas were even older than the gods. And so it was difficult, um, a challenge in history for the gods to conquer the seas and rule over the seas. But that's not the attitude or belief here, is it? No, because here it says the sea is his. And why? Because he made it. God owns the seas. They belong to him. The psalmist says to us, come, come and praise. Come and sing to the Lord. Come and make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Come, worship the maker, the creator, the one who formed us and who is above and over all things come. And then finally, the psalmist tells us that the one worthy to be worshipped is a shepherd. Verse 7, for he is our God and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. You see, if the people are the sheep, 
God, this one, is the shepherd, right? That's the picture here. And this is another one of those imageries that's found all over the Bible. And it speaks to the Lord's commitment and his personal care for his people. And for the original readers, this certainly would have taken their minds and their hearts directly to the promises of Psalm 23, which is another song that's found in this book, just a few songs before this, Psalm 95. It's there that we learn that the Lord is the one who leads us to green pastures and still waters, that he takes us, he promises to take us to good places, namely to himself and to his presence. We see there that as the shepherd, he not only promises that, but he promises to be with us, regardless of the season that we find ourselves in, in the highs and in the lows. He promises to be right there alongside of us, leading us and guiding us through. And because of that, because of the reality that we have a shepherd, we know That our lives are not just safe and secure, but they are also overflowing with peace. And so the psalmist says, that is the one, the one who deserves our praise. Again, this is what defines and characterizes the one who is worthy. And in case you, you missed it, what is the proper response to this God? This one It's verse 6. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord. Let us worship. Let us bow down. There's such sweetness in these words. Listen, these are not harsh or forceful at all. This is actually written as a gentle plea. To do what is right before the one who is worthy of our full devotion. And notice here as well the depths of humility that we are being invited into. Because the psalmist says, look at this, let us worship, let us bow down, let us kneel. And remember, I told you, the idea behind worship in Hebrew culture, in the Hebrew language, is to bow down. And then to kneel is just, again, to make ourselves low. So all of these are practically one in the same. Get low, get low, get low. And that's intentional. The point is, this God is truly worthy of our total praise. That he is to be completely revealed above all things. That we should be in awe of him. That there is no one worthy of more honor. And therefore, to go before him, we must humble ourselves and lower ourselves deeply. So again, Psalm 95 shows us that there is one God, one Lord, who is worthy of our humble worship. That if you were here today and you decided for yourself that you were going to bow down to 
one thing. If you're going to worship someone or something today, this would define them. They would be the Lord, they would be our rock, they would be our maker, and they would be our shepherd. And so that then brings us back to the ultimate question we're trying to answer today on this Easter Sunday. Is Jesus worthy of our worship? Should we bow down before him? You know, it's interesting Regardless of how you feel about Jesus today, regardless of what you even believe about Jesus, we can all admit that different people have different responses to Jesus. And actually, from the very beginning of Jesus' life, that has been the case. For example, when when Jesus was was born, we, we know historically that King Herod, the king of the Jews at that time, he sent out an edict to kill all of the children who were two years old and younger who were in and around the town of Bethlehem where Jesus was born. Kill all the children two and under, in and around Bethlehem. Why? Because he was threatened by Jesus. He was afraid that Jesus would take his throne. And yet, look at how others responded to young Jesus. There was a group of wise men who went out looking for Jesus. They finally come across the place where he is. And look at their response to him. It's Matthew chapter 2, verse 11. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. See, people have always had different responses to Jesus based on what they believe about Jesus. Herod believed him to be a threat to his crown. The wise men found him to be worthy of worship. Now, of course, uh, it's one thing for other people to believe things about you, right? But what did Jesus believe about himself? Well, let me point out a few things to us, for us today, and I think you'll see very quickly where I'm going with this. We'll start in John 10, where Jesus said to those who were following him, he said this, John 10, verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And then a few verses later, starting in verse 14, it says, again, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep, Jesus says, I have come to be your shepherd, to to care for you, to, to be with you. I've come to lead you through the ups and downs of life to help you. And in fact, I'm so committed to you, I'm so concerned for you, that I've come down to lay my life, to give my very life, For you. He says, I know my sheep and they know me. Sound familiar? Psalm 95 said, We are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. In other words, he made us, formed us, he knows us. Or what about Mark chapter 4? 
We read there, Jesus, it's a great story. Jesus gets into a boat with his disciples after teaching a very large crowd. He's tired. He takes a nap. Jesus is also a man, human. And then what happens? It says this, they're on the Sea of Galilee. It says this, and a great windstorm arose and the waves were breaking into the boat and so that the boat was already filling. So they're, gonna, they're starting to sink. But he was in the stern, that's Jesus, asleep on the cushion. And his disciples, they shook him, woke him and said, teacher, do you, just, do you not care that we're dying? We're, we're perishing, the, the boat's sinking. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. So Jesus here rebukes the winds and the waves. He commands them to be still and just was with his words. Actually, it's written that even before he spoke, it says, as the words were exiting his mouth, things got still. That's what it says. Just with his mouth opening, there was a great calm. And to that, what is the response of his followers? Those who were looking on, they say this, and they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? Listen, there was a great calm of the sea at the words of Jesus because all of creation perceives its creator. The description of the storm here again is this, that the language is such that no human power could do anything about this. But by Jesus ordering the sea to be still, he is unveiling himself to be the maker. The maker of creation. John chapter 1, starting in the beginning of that gospel, says this, In the beginning was the word, that's Jesus And the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Listen, and all things were made through him, and without him, Jesus, was not anything made that was made. He's the maker. The one worthy of our worship. And maybe this is still not enough for you today. You need more. Good. Got it. You're thinking to yourself, okay, sure, Jesus, you know, good guy, good teacher, promises to lead and to care for people, to be by their side and through thick and thin. And even here, he appears to calm the sea. But Psalm 95 clearly states that we only worship the one who is the Lord, Yahweh, the great I am. And to that, I invite you to turn with me to Mark chapter 14. In Mark chapter 14, we know Jesus has lived this incredible life. Many are following him. People are threatened by him, just like they were threatened by King Herod, especially uh, the Jewish elites, the Jewish religious people, including the high priest. His name was Caiaphas. And so in Mark chapter 14, we see finally it comes to this point, three years of doing ministry, of helping and caring and teaching people, Jesus is arrested And he is put on trial before the Jewish leadership. He goes to court, if you will. 
And that courtroom included the high priest, Caiaphas, who is at the top of the hierarchy, if you will. He's the chief. He makes all the biggest decisions. And at that trial, they, they put Jesus in the middle and they are throwing accusations at him, accusing him of all sorts of things that were not true of him. They're, they're trying to manipulate the situation. And yet, through it all, Jesus remains still and silent. He says a, not a word. Well, the high priest is so furious, so upset over this, that he stands up in the middle of that room and he asks Jesus a very direct, pointed question. It's Mark chapter 14, verse 61. He says this to Jesus. Are you the Christ, the Son of the blessed? In other words, we all demand here, Jesus, to know the truth about you from your own mouth. We hear what people are saying about you, but from your own mouth, tell us who you are. And understand, we have to go back, we have to understand the culture, it's important. Understand what the high priest is asking Jesus here. Because in Jewish culture, the claim to be the son of God or the son of the blessed is a claim to be God. So the high priest comes right out and asks Jesus, tell us now, I demand it, are you claiming to be God? And for the first time, Jesus opens his mouth and he says this, I am, and you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And listen to me, Jesus says, I am. And this is not just a, yeah, I am the Christ, the son of the blessed. It's it's much more than that, much bigger than that. This is Jesus literally using the language, I am. He is using the name God, Yahweh. Jesus says, I am the great I am. In other words, yes, I am the eternal one. I have always been, always was. I am the constant one, the standard of truth, the standard of everything that is good. Everything depends on me. I am. And how can we be sure that Jesus actually said this about himself? Well, because look at what the high priest responds, or how the high priest responds to this. It's not on the screen. You have to look in your Bible. But it says this, and the high priest tore his high priestly garment and said, what further witnesses do we need? You have heard this blasphemy. You see, this is important detail. It was not allowed against the law for the high priest to tear his high priestly garment. He could only do it for one reason, direct blasphemy against God. Jesus claimed to be God, the Lord. And because of that, because of that, he was sent out to die the death of a criminal on a cross. Put to death. And if the story ended there, Jesus is not worthy to be worshipped. 
He would only be worthy of ridicule, of being a liar, out of his mind, a deceiver. But of course, the story did not end there. For you see, after Jesus died on the cross on a Friday, was wrapped in linen clothes, buried in a borrowed tomb, three days later, Sunday came. And when his followers went to the tomb that day, this is what happened. And very early on the first day of the week, that's Sunday, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb, that's his disciples, his followers, and they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back, and it was very large, very heavy. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. They were taken back, a little fearful. An angel sitting there before him, and the angel said to them, Do not be alarmed. Do not fear. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified, but he has risen. He is not here. And listen, because he is risen, we know that everything that Jesus said and claimed about himself was true, meaning that Jesus is the Lord. Jesus is the king above all others. Jesus truly is the good shepherd. Jesus truly is the maker of heaven and earth. And because Jesus is risen, we also know that he is the rock of our salvation. But whereas the rock in the wilderness provided water to a people who were thirsty, Jesus provides for us spiritual water, life, eternal life, eternal joy, eternal peace to those who are spiritually empty, to those who have no hope. All of this together shouts to us that Jesus is truly worthy to be worshipped today. But what about you? What about you? What is your response to Jesus? Psalm 95 tells us to sing to the Lord, to worship the rock of our salvation, to praise our maker, our shepherd, to to worship, to make ourselves low, to, to bow down and kneel before the Lord our God. And Jesus certainly is that God. But notice what comes right after the invitation of Psalm 95 to worship this great God. He says this, the psalmist says this to us, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. The clear emphasis in this verse, by the way, is on that word, today. Listen, because this is urgent. It's urgent. Jesus deserves your worship today. He wants you to choose to worship him today. If you hear his voice, if Jesus truly is who he said he is, if he is the I am, if he rose from the grave, then we should bow down to him today. And so today, we have a a great invitation before us. 
to, to come and to worship the one who offers us eternal life, eternal joy. You see, because of our sin, you and I were, were, were separated from God and deserve to be separated from God. We are hopeless and broken. But the good news of Christianity, the, the good news of Jesus, the reason that we are actually gathered here together today and, and celebrating Easter together today is because Jesus came to redeem and restore our broken world. And he has done so by his very life, death, and resurrection. This is the good news of the gospel, that when Jesus died on the cross, he took the penalty of our sins on himself. And and, and three days later, he rose from the grave, conquering sin, Satan, and death once and for all, so that we can be with him, so that we can be in his presence. And because he has done all this, we can rightfully declare, praise, worship, and say that Jesus is Savior, but also that he is Lord. That he is the hope for the world. He is our salvation. Hear me. Different people have different responses to Jesus. That's been true since the day Jesus was born. But there are ultimately only two true responses. There's just two. And you're in one or the other camp today. You either bow down before him confessing that he is both Lord and Savior, or you harden your heart towards him and reject him and say, no, Jesus, you're not who you claim to be. And so do you want to experience true life today? Do you want to know true love? Do you want to have real lasting peace? Do you want forever joy? The answer is simple this morning. Bow down to Jesus because he is worthy of our worship. Let me pray for you.